You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. Corey Yelland is away today. Our guest developed hormonal migraines after her second daughter was born in 1998. Doctors then gave her Percocet. After a near-fatal car accident in 2006, she ended up in hospital, and that's when the pain increased, and so did the medications. It was a long journey to recovery, but thanks to cannabis, Amy Mellon of Maryland is with us to tell her story. Amy, thanks for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate being able to share my journey with you. Now, during the course of your life, did you ever think that one day you would be an advocate for the use of medical cannabis? (laughs) Oh, heck no. (laughs) Far from it. I grew up in the D.A.R.E. era. I I believe that nothing good came of cannabis. Uh, I always called marijuana weed pot back then, and uh, I thought it was the devil's lettuce. So, no, I didn't think I'd ever be doing anything like this. Well, it's great that you are. Now, after your second daughter was born in 1998, you started to get hormonal migraines. Tell me what that was like for you. Well, what my OB figured out is that my body made too much estrogen. That's actually how I figured out I was pregnant with Melanie is I started having these horrible migraines that I had had back in college that had subsided and they started back up again and she decided to do a little experiment and she put me on something called Lupron, which they use a lot for endometriosis. And what it did was it forced me into a chemical menopause for about four months. Now, you can't take that stuff for any longer than six months because you actually risk sterilization then. But just by her giving me this medication for that short period of time, they decreased by about 60% to 70%. And she said, this is obvious. And she tried to present this to the insurance company, but they wouldn't have it in order to authorize um, a hysterectomy for me. So it wasn't until I ended up with fibroids in 01 that I was bleeding so bad that they had to go in and then take out my uterus and my migraines dropped by 80%. Now, if they would have done that, (laughs) how many years earlier, four years, three years earlier, I wouldn't even have needed the Percocet to begin with, but that's how insurance goes. (laughs) What were those migraines like for you? I actually just recently started getting them again, and I believe it's because I'm premenopausal, and so my estrogen levels are going skyrocketing again. And what happens with mine is I don't always get the actual pain of a headache. I get the auras, which is the visuals, and mine are like long, squiggly earthworms that are silver and they're called tracers and they'll start with just one little squiggly but before you know it within about 10 to 15 minutes it totally takes over my whole field of vision and I also have my uh, fingers my hands my face my lips can all go numb um 
I also have a hard time forming words and being able to um, express what I'm trying to say. It affects me much like a stroke is what the doctors explained to me. And unfortunately, it just happens on both sides of my body, not just one side. But fortunately, I come back out of it and I can actually cycle this over and over sometimes in one night, three or four times. It'll go for about 20 minutes, then it'll dissipate for a while and it can be gone for a couple hours and then it'll come back again. And sometimes I'll have the headache and sometimes I don't. Is it always at night? No, no, there is no rhyme or reason to any of it. I've I've kept journals and tried to figure out if there's certain triggers. And from what I can tell, it just goes with my estrogen levels and it goes mostly with my cycles. Now, when did the doctor put you on Percocet? That was in 1998, 1997, excuse me, 1997 when I got pregnant with Melanie. And how long were you on Percocet? I was actually on Percocet for 18 years straight. (laughs) Wow. Because I was prescribed it already for those migraines to use occasionally when my big accident happened, my rollover in 2006. So I just stayed on the Percocet and they just added Oxycontin to that, the Baclofen, the muscle relaxers and, you know, everything else that came along with it as you ended up adding one more medication for certain side effects before you knew it i was taking over 40 pills and supplements a day you know amy i was looking at some of the side effects of percocet and you were on percocet for 18 years i'm going to read some of the side effects and tell me at the end whether you had these or not nausea okay nausea and vomiting dry mouth Loss of appetite, shallow breathing, dizziness, constipation, drowsiness or sedation, low blood pressure, flushing and mood changes. Did you have any of those? I'd say I, yeah, I'd say I had about 70% of those. And then of course, you know, you have to have another medication or a supplement, depending on what you choose to use to combat those side effects. And that's how you end up with this layering of pharmaceuticals or uh, pharmaceuticals. And I always tried to do other herbal supplements to, you know, rather than using a prescription, but sometimes you just don't have a choice. Now, tell us about the car accident in 2006. What happened? I was driving um, with my then husband, now my ex-husband, just north of Reedsport in uh, Oregon. And all of a sudden, my car pulled to the left. And we, we believe what happened is there was a malfunction and my strut broke. And I yanked my wheel back to try and correct and get out of oncoming traffic. Well, a lot of times we overcorrect. And that's what I did. And it forced me in front of... The slow lane, I hit an embankment head on, broke out my window. I was driving. I rolled my car three times, and each time I rolled, my head and my hand hit the the highway. So it pretty much took a chunk out of my hand where my wrist is and left it hanging by about an inch. And then I was left um, with my head with a very big open wound bleeding when I landed in the highway. It did knock me out and I came to after my car had landed. So you're lucky you still have your hand. I'm lucky I have my life, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> there was a, yeah, 
Yeah, there was a person that actually came, and I remember them coming to my aid and them removing their sweatshirt from their body and placing it on my head. And I remember passing, I passed out again is what my brain remembers. But apparently, according to police records, I was coherent and I was telling them everything. But you know what? It's amazing what type of protection our brain puts in there to protect us from those memories and the hurt, too. Would it be safe to say that you had a traumatic brain injury as a result of that? Yes, I do. And uh, what did they do to you in the hospital? They were able to take me by ambulance and not by life flight because they controlled my head bleeding. Took a five-hour trip in an ambulance to OHSU. They knocked me out just enough so I was asleep. Was in um, the OR trying to get all the debris out, the the gravel and the blood and the dirt and that sort of thing and the glass for about five hours. Um, so they stabilized me and then I remained in the hospital for two weeks. And while I was in there, they did different procedures to try and stabilize my wrist with pins to that point. They also applied something called a wound vac, which is an apparatus that is a sponge that's placed inside of the wound with a hose attached to it that connects to a small box. It actually is a vacuum machine. That's what it's doing is moving air in and out. And what it does is it pulls the fluid from the wound and helps you heal 30% faster. But what happens is they have to put this really sticky drape on you. And every time they change it, they rip that brand new tissue right off that's been growing. So these types of things I had to have done after I was home, still with a home nurse. I had to have regular wound dressing changes. I had, um, I actually had a skin graft done at one point to try and cover it so that the the tissue could start to heal and regenerate itself underneath. Um, I had years of physical therapy. I had eight different splints that were custom made. All of my doctors and surgeons were at OHSU, which is a federally funded hospital in Portland, Oregon. They all were extremely um, helpful every time I wanted to detox off my meds. And they were all supportive of me when I decided I wanted to do cannabis. How many pills, how many pain medications were you on at the height of this? Oh, they changed back and forth because when you're a chronic pain patient and you keep going through all these different procedures um, and your body is changing, then your pain is changing and altering. So they kept trying to find something different that would work. And so at first, they, I woke up in the hospital with a morphine pump morphine wasn't touching me at all um so we figured out that what worked best for my system was to have dilaudid put into my iv directly so they put me on a regular schedule with the nurse coming in putting it in my iv all the time now i also had dilaudid when i would go home for post-op um so i would be on that for a while but my staple was pretty much about 50, anywhere from 50 to 80 milligrams of Oxycontin a day, plus 50 milligrams of Percocet a day, plus um, for years I took at least 30 milligrams of Baclofen a day, which is a muscle relaxer because I had a lot of spasms in my arm. I was also on something called uh, Neurontin, also known as Gabapentin, the generic name brand. That's a nerve medication. Well, it was it was put out by Pfizer for epilepsy, 
but because some people ended up with side benefits, they decided to start marketing it for nerve pain. And I actually have worse off neuropathy now, and I'm left with permanent eye, facial, and shoulder tick because of that medication. So you try one, it doesn't work for a while, you go to another one. I went off the Neurontin and I tried Lyrica for six months. I gained 50 pounds in two months and the side effects were awful. I said, put me back on, put me back on the Neurontin. I can't do this anymore. I saw what was going on in 2007 with Oxycontin in the news. Now, I didn't grow up around drugs whatsoever. I was the good girl. I did my studies. I was in theater and dance, honor roll, went to college, got my degree, had my career, my family. Um, I didn't even get drunk with alcohol till I was 41 in 2010. So for me to wake up in the hospital with these really hard medications pumping in me and I'd never even done a mind-altering substance in my life, I had no idea. And at one point I saw in the news, I was like, wow, I don't want to get addicted to this stuff. Well, I'd already been on it for 18 months. I didn't understand my body was already dependent upon it. But I went into my doctor's fearful about addiction. And they said, well, we can go ahead and switch you to methadone. And I said, isn't that for heroin addicts? They said, yes, we do use it for people to get off heroin, but we also use it for chronic pain. I said, okay, I, I knew no better. I, I knew no, no other thing to do. And before you knew it, 18 months on methadone and I'm falling asleep in my food and I'm a synthetic heroin addict in front of my two kids. Um, I had to go in for another major surgery. I knew there was no way that Dilaudid was going to give me the pain relief that the methadone was doing at home. So I had to detox in two weeks, and it should have taken me six months, but I didn't have a choice. I knew what kind of pain I was going to undergo. And let me tell you, out of 27 detoxes, that was the second hardest one. That's exactly why people don't get off of it. It's hard. It's a tough one. And it brings out a rage in a lot of people that they never thought existed. So uh, you, you name them all. I tried them all. Uh, tramadol, morphine, Dilaudid, Percocet, Oxycontin, methadone. Uh, the list goes on. You were a walking pharmaceutical uh, dispensary, weren't you? I, yeah, I was. And literally... I was just discussing my journey with uh, my mom's best friend who's known me all my life and she is a retired RN. And I said to her, and I actually started tearing up, I said, I know what you call people like me when they come in. You call us a train wreck because that's exactly what you're waiting to do is you're waiting for us to derail and overdose. And she didn't say yes, and she didn't say no, but she gave me a look, and I knew that I was right. And that's what's really scary, is that there's so many people out there in the same exact situation that I was in that have no idea what this stuff is doing to them, and that's what scares me, and that's what breaks my heart. Now, growing up, you didn't have a high opinion of people who smoked pot, <laughs> tell us tell us how cannabis entered the picture for you and how you got off these medications. Yeah, I didn't have a high opinion at all. And 
In fact, my ex-husband, I was with him for 24 years, and he used cannabis the whole time we were together. But he never understood, I understand now, I see this, that he didn't understand the medicinal benefits of it. He was getting wonderful medicinal benefits because this man had degenerative disc disease. So when I look back upon it, I see that he did have great benefits from it. He just didn't know how to verbalize it to me. So yeah, I didn't have a good attitude about it. Um, like I said, I grew up in the dare era. And so I was taught that nothing good would come of it. Well, that neurotin that I was speaking about that nerve medication in, um, October 4th, 2014, I was driving my daughter and her friend back from the grocery store and I blacked out while driving at the wheel. And I started doing some research and figured out that it was the Neurontin that made me do that. It had happened to thousands of other people. And that's when I realized that Pfizer had never gotten approval to market this and have doctors prescribe it for neuropathy. They were marketing it for other uses than what the FDA approved it for. And believe it or not, Kaiser actually took Pfizer to court and won, which I thought was very ironic because usually people take Kaiser to court. <laughs> but they actually won. It was like a $140-some million suit, but yet they're still prescribing it like crazy out there and people don't realize the dangers and I, I almost killed all three of us and totaled my car. And I said, that's it. I'm done. I'd never even had a speeding ticket in my life. And I was having a Dewey assessment on the side of the road that day. And I will tell you this. The clarity that I have with cannabis now far exceeds whatever clarity that I ever had with legal pharmaceuticals in my system. Well, I don't think, far outseeds it. I don't think you had clarity when you were on all those medications. No, no not. I did no. not have clarity. No, not at all. And that's what scares me is that there's other people out there thinking that they're okay. I thought I was okay. I followed everything directly to what my doctors prescribed. I titrated up on my stuff very slowly. Um, I always stuck to what they, you know, the prescriptions were on the bottle. I kept journals because I didn't want to suddenly accidentally overdose and have my kids find me dead on the bed. So I kept pain journals all the time. And when that happened, I said, that's it, I'm done. And we'd kind of talked about cannabis a little bit, my, my husband now, Todd and I had, mm -hmm. but not a whole lot. We'd only been together for, um, for a few years when this when this happened and so we looked into it and he came home from work one day and he took me out on a back road and handed me a little bag and it, i opened it up and it had a brand new glass pink pipe in it and a little baggie with with some bud in it and he said here load it up and i just laughed at him and i said i have no clue what i'm doing <laughs> and <laughs> he goes yeah i know <laughs> so he, he loads it up for me and i smoke it and we come home and Probably 45 minutes afterwards, he's, he's looking at me and he's like, you're not feeling anything, are you? And I'm like, honey, I really don't know what I'm supposed to feel. The most exposure I had had to cannabis was maybe three or four shotgun hits off of my ex-husband when he took a bong hit and that was it. Mm 
So we're talking maybe a contact high at the best. And he said, come on over here. My husband Todd did. And he said, show me what you did. And I loaded it up and, and smoked it. And he started laughing like crazy at me. And I said, what? And he said, oh, honey, you didn't plug the carb hole on it. All you did was burn it all up. (laughs) (laughs) So this, I mean, they had to teach me how to smoke from the very beginning. I'd never even had a drag off of a cigarette before. So this is why I'm so vocal about this, that if anybody, if anybody can change their mind and their whole mindset and their family not just me, but my family too, change their mind about it, then there's other people out there that can change their mind just like I did. Now, Amy, when you learned how to smoke properly, and uh, did you find it of benefit immediately? How long did that take? Oh, heaven's sakes, yes. And that's what a lot of people don't realize, is they can actually start cannabis while they are on all their pharmaceuticals. Now, there's some things you have to watch out for, and there's some interactions that people do have with cannabis, and that all depends on what medications you're taking and um, what method that you are using to consume cannabis. But as long as you're careful, and really, I didn't even know what those dangers were at that point or what those warnings were or what my concerns were. All I knew is that I needed to find something or I was going to die. And I was tired of staying in my bedroom, living alone for 10 years, watching life go by and just waiting to die. And I knew that every time I detoxed off of my my uh, OxyContin every year because my pain would get better in the spring and summer. So I, I didn't want to be on that crud. But I knew Detox is hard on your body. Going through dope sickness every single year, once or twice or three times a year, depending on how many surgeries I was having too, I started thinking, I've got to be doing more damage to my body physically and more damage to my family emotionally than if I just stayed on this stuff. But I also knew that that wasn't an option. So I started smoking raspberry kush, very, very small quantities, very, very small puffs. And within, oh, well, let's see. I started smoking October of 2014, right after I had that accident from the gabapentin, the Neurontin. By that spring, I had decided to try a topical because I could see that my gabapentin, I was already titrating down. And I was like, wow, this is helping so much with my pain. I wonder if there's something else we could use next. And my uh, husband worked with a gentleman whose family had opened a local dispensary. And by then, we were rec legal in Oregon. So I was really blessed that I could, he and I could actually walk into a dispensary and ask questions, as opposed to some people in illegal states who don't have that um, availability to them. So I was very blessed. I was able to start using a topical the very first time I used it. Now, I'd used herbal topicals before, but nothing with cannabis. I placed that on my hand, which I have really bad neuropathy. I get itching, burning, pins, and needles. Um, Anybody that's had a tattoo placed on them, um, when they start doing the outlining on it, 
that kind of pain you have is the exact pain I have in my hand 24-7. Now, when I put the topical on, within two minutes, I could feel blood circulating. I could tell it because my hand was starting to get warm. And I would estimate within 10 minutes, I actually started feeling pain control. Now, I knew we were on to something then because I had not had pain relief that quick ever. So we went back to them and said, okay, wow, topicals are amazing. What do we use now? And they said, well, we'd like you to take a look and read about this Rick Simpson guy. And I said, well, isn't he that pothead guy? (laughs) Because, you know, I didn't know. And they said, yeah, but we just want you to get an idea of this oil that's out there that people are using now. And he's not the creator of it, but he seems to have been helping a lot of people with it. And just use that as an educational tool for yourself. And so that's what I did. Well, we were able to find somebody locally that was willing to help me out with trying some oil. Because at that point, I didn't want to invest the money in getting my card in Oregon if this wasn't going to work. It's $200, almost $200 to go to the doctor. It's $200 for your card. And this is something you have to do yearly. It's not cheap at all to do cannabis. So I started ingesting oil. Now, I wasn't taught then that I needed to use a carrier oil. Things were just really taking off in Oregon at that time. There had been a medical community for like 15 years, a medical program, but I didn't know anybody in that program whatsoever. I was all new to this. So the only thing we knew to do was to walk into a dispensary and buy everything right off the shelf. And that's what we did. You know, I got my card and I would go in and buy my oil in there. Um, They had a hard time keeping up with my demand because I was replacing so many pills that my oil requirement in order to heal my endocannabinoid system that we're born with really needed a lot. But I did learn later on that if I would have been taught to mix it with a carrier oil, my uptake and my absorption would have been a lot better. I wouldn't have had to use as much oil. It wouldn't have just gone through my system and I would have saved a lot of money too. So, But you know what? Cannabis has a huge learning curve, and that's why I try to share my journey, and I put everything public, because I want people to know that you don't have to keep living like that if that's what you choose to do. Cannabis is not for everybody. You have to be willing to do the work. And I don't care if you're choosing cannabis or you're choosing some other way to heal or any type of new journey you want to do in life. You have to be willing to do the work, you have to be willing to journal, and you have to be willing to go through the pain. If you're not willing to do that, don't even try to start because it's really hard. It really is, and you have to change. It has to be a mindset, and, and it's another, not as an, easy. An, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Amy. Another thing Go ahead. is that everyone is different. What works for some people may not work oh, for others, yes. and you've got to, you have to experiment. That's another hard part of cannabis. Now, let's think about this. Pharmaceuticals are made with synthetics. So you have one pill that comes in that bottle for all of us of the masses. We all go through that line and we all pick up the same prescription pretty much no matter what our systems are like. Now, with cannabis, 
We're all born with an endocannabinoid system, just like we have a respiratory system, a cardiac system. It's part of our being. When we are born, we, we get cannab, we get all the great good stuff from the breast milk. We're getting our cannabinoids that we need. Now, when we stop feeding that system, we start creating holes in there. And that's when we open things up for disease and for illness and toxicity and things like that. Once you start ingesting those again, it starts plugging in those holes. And that's what it started doing with me. And literally, when I started ingesting that oil, Within two weeks, my blood sugars start dropping so fast that my doctor had to start cutting back my metformin. And within two months, I was off of 1,500 milligrams of metformin a day, and I had reversed my type 2 diabetes. And you lost a lot of weight too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Actually, I had started some small changes back in 2010. And so I was able to drop about 80 pounds over a... I'd say four-year period, so it took me a long time to lose that amount of weight, but I was still going through surgeries and things like that, and I was still on all the pills. The reason why we gain weight is we have a sick system. We're toxic, whether it's the food that we eat, the medications that we are bringing into our bodies, the environment, toxic relationships, all of these things create toxicity in our bodies. The toxins act like sludge in our system and they hold our fat cells hostage. Now, when I started ingesting that oil, it started plugging my endocannabinoid system and started finding homeostasis. That's how it started detoxing me and just started releasing the fat and I could use it for energy to be burned. Once it started doing that, I was able to drop meds one after another after another and that's another way that i'm releasing those toxins i'm not putting those in my body anymore so the weight literally the fat for about a six month period i felt was just like melting away it was insane and i actually dropped i got off all my pain meds within three months of ingesting after I began ingesting, I got off my Effexor and my uh, Celexa and Clonopin within six months of ingesting. And I'd been on Effexor for years. Um, and then in less than a year, I dropped over 100 pounds. And the only thing I changed was adding cannabis. That's it. Amy, I'm wondering how is your health currently today? Um, actually, it's not too bad. Um, I struggle because of where I live now. I'm in Maryland. I don't have access to all the great fresh foods that I had so easily back in Oregon just because of where I live now. Um, and so I do struggle with that. Um, I do want to mention, too, that all of those meds that I was on, I used to do a liver flush and a kidney flush supplement for the last five years that I was on pharmaceuticals because I wanted to protect my organs. Now, I didn't know how to protect my heart other than taking my omegas. And in April, I found myself in the hospital here in Maryland in emergency heart surgery in a cardiac ICU, and my heart was failing. I had a, a left blockage branch brachial blockage excuse me and they ended up uh the bottom chambers of my heart were no longer pumping and i was passing out 
and they had to go in and put uh, on 420. I got a new lease on life and I got a pacemaker. So now I have a pacemaker that works 99.6% of the time to keep me alive from what the meds did. They built up plaque in my aortic and my mitral valves. Amy, when you look back on what you went through, and boy, you've gone through a lot, just <laughs> listening to your story. Oh, man. What, <laughs> what was the lowest point for you in all of this? July 2015 was the lowest point. That was my... Um, my biggest, my last and biggest detox, uh, my 27th detox off of pain medications. And this, you know, this was getting off of everything. And um, that Neurontin, also known as Gabapentin, that's a real tough one to come off of. Um, because you think about it, it put my nerves to sleep. The pain medications put my nerves to sleep. Now, all of a sudden, everything's starting to wake up. And I literally thought I was hearing voices. Not only that, but when you go through dope sickness, you don't want to live. It's awful. And I was very suicidal. And thanks to uh, my faith and my family and my friends. And let me tell you, that's when I found, that's when I found liquid metal music. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I'd go outside and I'd sit in my grandma's, um, her iron rocking chair and I'd sit there with my bare feet in the grass, soaking up the ions with my earbuds in with Sirius XM with liquid metal turned up. And I would literally with my family called it turbo rocking and I'd put my essential oils on me. I'd take my cannabis capsule and I'd go out there and I'd rock for like three hours and I did whatever <laughs> I had to do to get me through to the next three hours, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that, that is fab- fabulous. Your family must be proud of you. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. It's um, it's not been an easy transition. My big accident happened when my girls were only eight and nine years old. They lost their mom for 10 years, and I was a very big part of their life. I was the mom that made everything from scratch. All the meals were from scratch. I, All of our presents were handmade and homemade and, and took them to activities and sports and dance in the park and so it was it was really hard on them. And then I come out of this fog and I have this really fast, really fast healing. And then all of a sudden they're having to get to know this woman that they never even knew to begin with. But I can tell you that my daughters both told me that um, about a little over a year ago, I remember them telling me this. They said, Mom, you're a much better mom on cannabis than you ever ever were on pills oh isn't that nice it it feels good (laughs) amy a fantastic story and it's great to see that i guess you're you're always on the road to recovery in this business aren't you safe to say you know yeah anybody that that struggles with the chronic condition you're constantly looking for ways to improve your health, to keep your pain at bay, to keep your body going, and to balance your system. And that's the thing. With plant healing, we're dealing with or- organic compounds so they're constantly changing. My body is organic. It's constantly changing. So like you said, what works for one person may not work for another. And you have to be willing to do the work and do the journals and just do a lot of trial and error. Absolutely. Amy, anything you'd like to say in conclusion to listeners? Um, I 
am just out there trying to squash the stigmas. That's the biggest thing with me is I just want to get my story out there and I want to give other people hope. And it's really nice to get messages from people where they say, you know what? I really didn't think I could do this until I saw you. And that's why I have my One Beautiful Hot Mess page out there. That's why I created my Squash the Stigma page. That's why I have my Instagram and I share how I medicate. Um, I share that I'm a card holder in Oregon. Now I'm a card holder in Maryland. And I share the frustrations that we have in Maryland. There's been people here fighting for this for years. They voted it in four years ago. We're just now getting our first dispensaries open in September to October. So there's a lot still to fight for. We're even legal medically here. I have my card, but I'm not allowed to grow my own plants as a patient like I could back in Oregon. And that's really something as a chronic patient. When I was in Oregon buying everything in dispensaries, $1,500 a month. Who can afford that? We spent every penny that we had and and we're, we're worse off now financially. But you know what? How do you put a price on your life? Absolutely. Amy, you what, know, that's really what it comes down to. How do you put a price on your life and what will you what are you willing to do to save it? Amy, it was great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time and your inspirational story. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And that's another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.